Presbyopia Unlocked is an editorially independent podcast supported with advertising by Allergan. Currently, age is the primary factor influencing the identification and classification of presbyopia. In today's episode, experts discuss how this classification system could be optimized and the ways in which doing so could benefit patients and improve treatment decision-making. Coming up on this episode of Presbyopia Unlocked. Welcome to episode two of our podcast, Time for Change, Classifying Presbyopia Simply. I'm the host, Marguerite McDonald, and we have the great pleasure of having some uh, thought leaders in optometry and ophthalmology with us today and experts in presbyopia. We have Dr. Leslie O'Dell of Medical Optometry America in Pennsylvania, in York, Pennsylvania. Dr. Rachel Rublet, president of North Carolina Optometric Society in Charlotte. And Dr. Bill Tratler at the Center for Eye Care in Miami, Florida. Welcome. So let's get started. Uh, why should we even classify presbyopia? Well, Leslie, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I think it's an interesting question. And I, I learned most recently that actually even this word presbyopia can sometimes just make us feel older, right? So if you think about just even the Latin definition, presbyopia is old man's eye. So it's a delicate topic that we have when we're talking to patients because we want to not make our patients feel old. And, and actually 40 is not considered, you know, to be old. It's right. The prime of our life. And that's when the eye starts to have these focusing issues. So I think a classification system is important so we can see what part of the visual, you know, accommodative system declining our patients are in so that we can better match treatments. Um, and it's an exciting time to be part of this um, journey with our patients and for myself, even um, living with, with early onset, early presbyopia, because we have a lot of great treatment options that don't, you know, fall into that traditional glasses or bifocal um, that we've prescribed for a long time. Yeah, Leslie, I have to agree with you. I, you know, you hear that word presbyopia and you just think old and I'm, I'm inching towards that presbyopia category. And it's just like, but I'm not old. I, I refuse to believe that I am old. So I, I agree that, you know, classifications could be a good thing. Well, I'll just jump in, Rachel and, and Leslie, and um, it's such an important topic. So I am much older than all, all of you. And um, thankfully, I didn't need help with reading until more recently. So I felt young, even though I was well over the age of 40. But once I hit into my 50s and started needing some reading glasses, then again, you kind of realize that you're a little different than you were when you were younger. Absolutely. And um, Rachel, what do you think about the treatments that are out there and do they work, some work better in early versus advanced? Yeah, I agree. Um, there's multiple treatments out there right now, but is it enough? Is it all of them work for every type of presbyope out there? You know, maybe an advanced presbyopic patient wearing monovision contacts isn't the best fit because we're telling them, hey, you've got to choose a distance and near or distance and intermediate, or you need a third eyeball because we just can't fix it all. Or in those early presbyopes that are just getting into it and we're telling them, oh, you may lose a little of that distance vision as we put you in these multifocal contacts. So 
is there a perfect answer for everyone? No, they're all going to be in different categories and different options for them. And it, it'll vary depending on what their daily activities and work environment are as well. I totally agree. And I found in my practice, a lot of patients who started doing Monovision when they were 40, 41, finally, the, the diopteric difference between the two eyes is so huge, they can't tolerate it. It can even break down an esophoria into an esotropia when the difference between, between the two eyes becomes so great. And also, and, and um, Leslie and Rachel, you would know better than we would, but um, it's possible to outgrow multifocal contacts where they just don't give you enough near ad. Isn't that true? Yeah. And, you know, I think that the, that is definitely true. And, and sometimes you struggle to, you know, keep your patients happy. And as their ad power is increasing, the separation between the distance and near becomes more of a struggle. And it, it definitely does become something that they end up wearing readers over top of their contacts. And that's not ideal either. Um, the patient that's really interesting to me, though, is the emmentrope, you know, throughout their entire life that becomes the presbyope, because oftentimes the patients that have been wearing glasses from a young age are much more adaptive to anything that we have to offer. They've you know, lived with glasses, they might've tried contacts, you know, they might be, you know, all in on surgical options, you know, from the first time they hear about them, but the patient that never had trouble seeing, you know, and this is my husband, I've told him, you know, since we've been married, what, wait till we get to our forties. And he's like, not convinced that that's ever going to happen, <laughs> but it's here. Um, so he's doing the pushing the phone away and, and magnifying his font. And it's going to be a challenge. I'm actually looking forward to some alternate treatments in his case, because I don't see him wearing glasses or contacts very easily. <laughs> Leslie, I have the exact same husband and he's an optometrist <laughs> and he is fighting it right now, tooth and nail, increasing that phone font size, having our kids, hey, can you read this? I'm going, where are your glasses? He's like, oh, I'm not grabbing those. So <laughs> I get it. We, we all have those emetropes that are, had that eagle eye vision all their life and it's, it's a change to their world. I think, it, you know, the one other thing you're, that I use a lot when I was like just in that early situation was uh, using my light in the restaurants. So I turned the phone on my light and that would help me see the menu. And then of course, all my friends would want to share their lights to make sure that I could see the menu, but also make it obvious that I was old. <laughs> so Bill, let me ask, is there currently a formal way to classify presbyopia? I don't think there's a formal way. I mean, when I was in my training, I, we used to use age as a sense of you're 40, it's you know, this amount of impact of presbyopia. And that was the, the one way, of course, you could measure patients, uh, but we don't have a formal way. And it gets complicated because someone who's uh, a mild myope isn't going to experience um, presbyopia even when they're in their 40s or early 50s. This is true. We're using yourself as an example, right? Yes. You're a low myope, Bill? Yeah. Yes, a low myope. So, so Age is the most common method of determining presbyopia, but while it's very highly correlated with presbyopia, the age of onset we all know varies greatly. The other day I saw a 46-year-old man, Plano OU. He has not the first symptom of presbyopia. He can read a small print held up to his nose. It, you know, it, it just kind of amazed us, but there is that patient-to-patient -patient variability that's been very well documented. And of course, the poor hyperopes, the high hyperopes, they get, they get uh, their glasses and their readers very early. 
But um, I, it, it makes sense, you know, I think to come up with a better way to classify it because age of onset varies so very greatly. So Leslie, um, let's talk about functional vision, which varies between people and diopters of ad. I, I think, and I think most of us agree, the diopters required is probably the mo- most relevant factor. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. And I do think that, you know, I, I would definitely agree with that, the diopters that we're thinking about, and also what the diopters that are left within their accommodative system are, are very important. And um, looking at the working distance that patients are using, you know, you know, maybe some of your patients that, you know, maybe this patient, although they could hold it close and still see comfortably, like you were saying, but, you know, computers are giving us a, a further working distance. So there are a lot of patients that will be older in years before they may have symptoms. The opposite side of that is the phones and being able to adjust fonts or move the phone back, you know, also allows people to adjust. Um, But I I do think that tests like amplitude of accommodation and maybe the um, NPR or NRA, PRA, sorry, just to kind of measure the amplitude of accommodation are going to be tests that we not only rely on for our pediatric patients, but we'll use for these patients as we develop this classification system. And uh, aside from the pseudo accommodation um, that Bill mentioned due to myopia, there are other ways to have pseudo accommodation, uh, like a very small pupil, for instance, or even corneal shape. Uh, Would you agree, Rachel? I would. You can think of like corneal aberrations or even in astigmatism patients with lenticular sill, they're going to have a, you know, a greater depth of focus um, with that and still be able to function. So the diopters required are, is really a very significant determination in the efficacy of a specific treatment. And that probably going forward, especially with all the wonderful new things in the pipeline that will help guide us. So how, Bill, would a simple classification system, how might it be used in the clinic? A a classification system would be very helpful for our patients and for ourselves as clinicians. Uh, Eye care providers will be able to to determine which treatments to offer particular patients. For example, are they eligible for certain types of contact lenses, like multifocal contact lenses that have certain powers? We're also, uh, many of us offer refractive lens exchange or laser vision correction, and how much should we uh, offer them uh, depending on their level of presbyopia. And then as their presbyopia gets more advanced, we may be offering different options. So um, if we understand that a patient has early uh, versus say advanced presbyopia, uh, we can zoom in more quickly on the proper treatment decision without frustrating them and making them try various things that fail. Yes, I agree. A, A new classification system uh, time to time to change, time to get one. <laughs> I think we all agree on that. Uh, so thank you so much. Any closing comments from anyone? You know, I would just say again, thanks for um, having me join in the conversation. I, I think this is going to be an exciting topic um, and really push us to think about something that you know, was kind of always done a certain way with uh, bifocal or multifocal, you know, often spectacles, then contact lenses, then surgery. And I think it's going to be exciting to see what's in the pipeline for our presbyopic patients and how we can give them the freedom that they're looking for. Um, 
to do the activities that they're doing. Just like um, Rachel was saying, our, our patients are much more active, much longer into life. And we don't want their vision to be the barrier to that. We want to actually give them the tools they need in order to have the optimal vision for the, the activities they want to do. That's right. And we have to remember 40 is the new 20. I like that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I agree with Leslie, you know, options coming in the pipeline is just another piece to add to their toolbox to give our patients options that they may, may never have had before that could really affect and impact their life in, in a great way. Yes, I'll just share that, you know, I agree with uh, Leslie and Rachel and of course, Marguerite as well. I mean, these new technologies coming down the pipeline, many, maybe even the additive where we'll be able to put two together to provide even more range for even our more advanced presbyopia patients. So I'm super excited and I'm excited for this presbyopia classification system. And I really appreciate being part of this. Well, thank you all. This has been wonderful. And uh, we, we thank our, our sponsors and we hope you all have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you.